Welcome to Blockchain Recorded, the podcast for the tech curious, where we talk about anything and everything related to the exponentially evolving crypto, blockchain, and Web 3.0 space. Our mission is simple, to share knowledge, facilitate discourse, and help evolve education in blockchain fundamentals, decentralization solutions, and relevant use cases for today's digital economy. We at Blockchain Recorded are not registered investment advisors and do not deal with financial or trading token elements, nor offer any licensed financial services. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, while the opinions of all parties involved are their own. I'm your host, Nina Tserar, and now let's talk blockchain. So before I introduce our guest today, I'd like to remind everyone to follow us on X, for so former Twitter, at Recorded Podcast, where we pre-stream each episode on Spaces the day before publishing to all major podcast platforms. For the full platform list, visit our website, blockchainrecorded.com. Our guest today is Clay Nickel, the COO and co-founder of Stability Protocol. Clay is a global finance professional with a 15-year journey through JP Morgan, Credit Suisse, and AGF with an entrance to the blockchain space in 2016. In 2021, he was hired by Mike Novogratz at Galaxy Digital to lead the West Coast and the U.S. to onboard banks and institutions into digital assets. In 2023, Clay co-founded Stability Protocol, which is the world's first fee-less and tokenless public blockchain network with the goal of removing the key barriers that are preventing global adoption of blockchain technology. Excited to talk about stability today. And outside of blockchain, Clay is a two-time figure skating gold medalist, have to mention that, and proud dad of three. So without further ado, Clay, welcome to Blockchain Recorded. Thanks for having me, Nina. You have quite an eclectic background. I'm going to nitpick a little bit in, in the for the traditional finance part. You were were you in investment banking or research or trading or all three? Mm, actually, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, the the, the latter, uh, all three. So I started off as a a gold analyst, um, or actually started on the buy side at AGF, then switched to being a gold analyst at Credit Suisse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I traveled the world going to different gold mines and, and, and that type of thing, writing the research reports, then went to Credit Suisse in London and then JP Morgan, I was in banking. So I always joke that I've kind of made the full circle from analog gold to digital gold. If you're a, a fan of Bitcoin. Uh, absolutely. With, I'm sure everybody asks you this. You come from traditional finance. So TradFi, I just want to have this, just start with a common question of what brought you to blockchain tech from the TradFi world in 2016. Yeah. Being on the West Coast, you have a lot of uh, tech entrepreneurs, which I covered in banking and um, got introduced in 2016 to to Bitcoin and blockchain. Mm. And that's actually when I also met my co-founder, um, who was building, I actually met him a little bit later in 2018. Um, he had just made a, a switch. And... I was fascinated by the space. Jamie Dimon, you know, think he's an amazing leader, but at that moment he was not a big fan of crypto, as everyone recalls. So <laughs> <No>. <laughs> had to, you had to kind of stay under a rock and not talk too much about it. So I quietly studied for for years, mm. and it was you know in 2021 where I decided, okay, I think this is this is a moment where institution we've talked about institutional adoption for a long time and i thought this is the moment and and i have the skill set and the background to hopefully help bring institutions into the space mm-hmm. and if if successful maybe this amazing technology that we're, we're all here and excited about this blockchain technology we could get product market fit and i thought bringing these big institutions in I could do that, and that's when I, I I left J.P. Morgan to join Mike at uh, at Galaxy Digital. Yeah, I'm curious about that. How how did your path lead to Mike, and and how did it go once once you were there? So it was um, I I reached out to a few firms. Uh, this is before there was a, a large exodus from traditional finance into the crypto space during this period, mm. and. I reached out and, and all three of them got back. I sent like three or four LinkedIn messages um, and everyone was like primed to have a conversation. I know that sounds odd, right? Like rifle shots. <laughs> and So LinkedIn, interesting. Yeah, I, I just, I, I there wasn't that many that I was going to work for. Mm-hmm. And that had the this, you know, 
focus on being a bridge to institutional adoption. Like if we need institutions in the space if we're going to get user growth. Right. And so reached out and, and you know, interviewed with Mike, interviewed with the, the senior leadership and just connected on what we were trying to build. And very quickly it was, okay, Clay, you're covering the banks. Like you're coming from the banking space. Mm -hmm. um, we're trying to onboard these crypto investment products to these bank platforms, like go, right? And we were successful. We, we, we successfully onboarded mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, PNC, some of these very large platforms, as well as some banks in the inter in, like in, internationally. But that was a watershed moment. Uh, quiet, because banks were being quiet about it. Mm. But uh, where I quickly kind of got disenfranchised is I realized we weren't closer to product market fit and that as much as these digital asset teams want access to blockchain, they can't touch public blockchain much, right? There's very few instances that they can. And that was frustrating. You have this amazing tech mm. and they want it, but they can't touch it. And there's these barriers. And then that's when I really kind of said, okay, I need to find out my, my path here, why I'm here. I don't see it happening. And so I need to figure out how am I going to continue to advance institutional adoption. Which ultimately led you to co-founding Stability? Exactly. Yeah. So that's where Julian and, and I were, were, were catching up. And Mike, um, who's there's three of, three of us as co-founders, and we've known each other now for five years at that point. Mm -hmm. And Mike and Julian have been very successful in the traditional Web3 space um, with several projects and building infrastructure and they felt they've always wanted to advance the industry as well. And they felt that it was a circular reference as well. So we were talking about that and realizing that we have two technologies here. We have cryptocurrency as a technology and blockchain tech right. technology. Right. Blockchain's ready today. Cryptocurrency is going to be ready in the future, in our opinion. And what are these key barriers that are preventing? And we really honed in on those barriers. And then that led us to the design of stability of where it is today. Yeah, um, it's it's fascinating to hear, as I'm sure that you've heard, maybe from some your other feedbacks. But you know, I've talked to a lot of founders and working on L1s and L2s and and trying to you know, trying to tackle scalability and trying to tackle the 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 fee problem. And this is a complete twist in how the business model can be. So with just fascinated with so stability's mission in helping to facilitate the removal of these key barriers. And I, I kind of I want to get into what exactly do you consider all these barriers to be mm -hmm. that are preventing the global adoption of blockchain tech? Because I think this is the last, for example, like you just mentioned, uh, you started it a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. why, why would you say in the last five years that blockchain has not been able to catch up? And yeah, exactly what I asked. What are these key, key barriers to tackle? So there's, there's two different types of blockchains out there. Public blockchains, which is what we're all familiar with, and then private blockchains, which we're less familiar with. Right. Pre-public blockchains, private blockchains, everyone thought was the answer. And the last 10, 12 years, that has been the focus of enterprises. And it is now becoming more common knowledge that that doesn't work. Consortium, private consortium blockchains don't work. We saw Maersk and IBM shutter their project. Mm -hmm. it, it, we won't go into all the reasons that that doesn't work, but it's not working. So there's been a transition. Okay, public blockchains, and we've seen mm -hmm. you know big accounting firms and advisory firms saying like, yes, that's the way that we're going to go in the future. And we, but we haven't really seen significant adoption. So those are the two paths. So really focusing on public blockchain and why public blockchain hasn't seen enterprise adoption, there's four key factors, I think. And, and, I, and I don't think they're going to be surprising to anyone any, or any of your listeners. Regulatory risk, user experience, cost, and scale. These are the four... The usual suspects. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but the, the slight twist is that it's our perspective that the root cause of all four of those is cryptocurrency. Right. And once that is that that dependency is removed from the equation, you end up having a significant amount of white space that opens up. 
Um, and that, th that, that, that's what we feel, why we believe that we can now really move forward to gain enterprise adoption. We're starting to see that. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk stability. So I think you've answered why stability. So how is stability different yeah. from what is already out there? I mean, I already know the answer, but of course, if you can talk to mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's as it being the fee-less and tokenless public blockchain network, right? You know, we're so used to the native token model, you know, reading the white paper, going through the tokenomics and hearing about, like I said earlier, tackling transaction costs. And although the fee-less concept um, for the user has been catching on, the tokenless has, this is the first time that I'm actually well, speaking to you about it. Mm -hmm. It would be great if you could just help us understand your thesis behind having a tokenless concept. And also, second part of the question, how does one go about building it? If you can talk about the tech as much as you can. Yeah. So yeah, I'll start off by saying like, I'm not the technical co-founder. We went through my background. Um, it's fine. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will, I, I think that's actually helpful uh, yes. in, in keeping it somewhat higher level and the bigger concepts, right? Mm -hmm. So stability, obviously we've heard of fee-less um, and, and account abstraction, sponsored transactions. These we believe are Band-Aid solutions, in a sense, to give us more runway and to try to streamline the user experience, right? And abstract away the gas fee. Mm -hmm. But someone has to pay a gas fee. I think it might be helpful to start with how public blockchains today, like let's use Ethereum as the, the base case because that's the, you know, the global compute, what people used to call global compute. I would I would challenge that assumption now. Sure. But how, how it's designed. And so Ethereum... Uh, is designed in a way that block space is designed to stay congested and to keep block space scarce mm -hmm. because that increases the amount of gas burnt with transactions, which makes it a deflationary token economy, which then increases the token price, which everyone loves, mm -hmm. also increases the security of the network. So that system is designed expressly to drive value to that cryptocurrency. And most public blockchains are designed in that function, right? You can't be optimized for a cryptocurrency and be optimized for use and utility at the same time. So Ethereum does like 90 gigabytes of data in a year. Hmm. It's a very, very, very small amount of data that it processes. And so that, that's, that's the current setup. With stability, mm -hmm. we've removed this, the token. We do not incentivize validators with the token and running, incentivizing them to run the transactions, right? And so we, the way that we run our business is we, our business model is a software as a service business, as well as a customer service business, helping enterprises gain access to public blockchain technology. So I just want to say one thing is that on the user experience, anyone can use stability. That is a public experience. Mm -hmm. On the validator side, they are permissioned validators. And so some people in Web3 right there will be like, not interested, right? And that's okay. What we're focused on, our mission is to get enterprises traditional businesses into blockchain so that your parents and my parents and grandparents can all see the benefits of blockchain. And yeah, so that that's that's high level. But I, I that was a, I don't know if I answered your question specifically though. Um, so maybe maybe we can refine your refine it a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um it's it's absolutely fair because I, like you said, I mean you, we want our our parents or well who knows? But I mean, in terms of everybody needs to be onboarded and have a have an easier user experience. And that's obvious. My challenge and understanding is, okay, incentivizing. How do you then just backtrack when you said in terms of the validators? How do you incentivize the validators if you don't have a token? What what's your model behind that? Or if you can talk to that? Yeah, there's two. There's two. Um if, if you are uh, an enterprise and you want, say your PayPal, you want to run your payments application on chain, mm -hmm. 
you want to maintain a big part of enterprise blockchain adoption, another challenge we haven't really talked about is privacy, mm -hmm. right? So you want to maintain privacy of your customer data. And so, so they, they have now a solution where they can do that with stability. They can run their own, what we call internally a private mempool, where they can get their users with their uh, user uh, identifier, identifiers to be able to gain access and submit transactions that are mempool, mm -hmm. and then we run on a PayPal validator. That's gonna sound like a uh, private, somewhat of a private chain within a public context, right? Right, okay. right. But I'm just, so this is just one of the options. So mm -hmm. PayPal will pay for that validator slot. Why would they pay for that validator slot is because they're getting tremendous utility mm -hmm. of being able to do that. One thing, and I, I don't want to diverge too much, but one thing that we really view ourselves as at Stability is what we call a public distributed compute network, mm -hmm. right? And when you think of the context of Ethereum being global compute, which I don't necessarily believe it is, given what we talked about in its structure, you can now design applications that are much, much cheaper uh, from a network cost and much more secure than traditional Web2 cloud infrastructure. Meaning we can build a PayPal application, which we've done, like a Venmo. We've built this. It's a live demo that has no back end. Mm -hmm. There is no server. So that when you look at PayPal, they've spent $2 billion on hardware. Okay. They spent, you know, 10 plus billion a year on network infrastructure, cloud compute, security, all of those things. And you have a similar experience that we can build on stability that doesn't require any of that. And so therefore you have this new design of being able to build Web3 applications that have Web2 user experiences. Um, that's a mouthful. And just to backtrack a little bit, you mentioned PDC, right? And maybe maybe would help also, I think, because we're, we're jumping around a little bit, but in terms of what stability is, and what you, you, you also mentioned the compute, right? And um, the compute factor. Maybe if you just, if you could explain, I'm not familiar as much with, with PDC. And also, why are you actually choosing that and, and think it's maybe the next what is the next evolution of cloud or, or if, you, if you say computing? Yeah. So what we, you don't haven't heard that term because we had to make it right. And so mm -hmm. the evolution that, that happens there is you had previously you had in the 1980s, you went from on-prem mm -hmm. hardware, meaning you had an office that had a stack of servers in the office from the, from 2000s onward, everything started transitioning to the cloud and still is. Right, right, right. Why did that transition happen? That transition happened because cloud is cheaper, more secure, more flexible. There's a long list of reasons why that transition happened. Mm -hmm. Why would public distributed compute happen in the future is the same reasons. Much cheaper, much more secure, still flexible. Um, and so that's why we see and, and why we see this transition happening over time. Now, there hasn't been a public distributed compute network until now because there hasn't been a tokenless, fee-less public blockchain that can scale and offer that. So that's why when I explained, this is kind of bringing back the PayPal example, you can now build a application that is much cheaper to run and much more secure. Mm -hmm. Enterprises today, this last thing I'll point is enterprises today don't understand, for the most part, the benefits of interoperability or composability, but that is another benefit that's just waiting there for enterprises when they finally realize the power of blockchain in the future, but that's not going to create adoption. Enterprises and the boards that make those decisions look at first order problems, and that is cost and security are probably the two biggest. Just curious, what has been the feedback thus far 
on your protocol and how you came about building stability in this way? Like from within the space, not maybe necessarily enterprise or maybe that's, it's, that's most of the people that you deal with. Just, just, just curious. So I'll take it in two camps. You have the Web3 community, mm-hmm. which we are steeped in and from. That's where we came from mm-hmm. with a, a mission for blockchain, not just cryptocurrency, right? I would put that kind of bent on it. Mm-hmm. And that community and the investors and venture capitalists and other co-founders, they love the idea. Mm-hmm. The question that it's so orthogonal, like you started out in the conversational to everything else that has been seen it's like, well, what about consensus? What about double spend problem? What about 51% attack? Right. And so we can dive into that because I think bedrock kind of hits in consensus, which so maybe we can jump back to that in a minute. But absolutely, that that is what challenges them. And so they're like, and before this, it wasn't built. This this blockchain went live public in public beta net in November, right? It took us over a year of just building. Mm-hmm. To get it to this point. And now when we're out speaking with enterprises, the different community of people who are going to use it, the feedback is like incredible. Like we are gaining we are we are gaining so much momentum so much faster than we anticipated because there's no regulatory risk. The user experience is familiar. The costs are known. We don't have a gas fee or whatever. And there's not like a token that's, that they're tying their business to. Mm-hmm. And then it can scale to Web2 size. So those things make the conversation very open. And it's just like, let's just get to work. Like, great. So in terms of regulatory, much easier, obviously, because you're you're extracting the, the token component of and potential speculation factors for sure <laughs> which we that's all a know, big one that, which we it's huge it's huge that's a that's a big one but but the other three are are not insignificant mm-hmm. the the user experience like traditional the world your parents and my parents aren't going to use metamask no hexadecimals and all like that's just not going to happen no so we have to offer a web 2 experience as well right well you did allude to the consensus part of it. So mm-hmm. we might as well just jump to that part. So which consensus model do you use? Yeah. If you don't have, you know, proof of work, proof of stake, that 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 completely falls out on the off the radar. Yeah, I, I, I kind of also just want to speak to proof of work and proof of stake sure. in the context of consensus mechanisms as a body of academia mm-hmm. <laughs> consensus has, mechanisms in this world this at this whole space of academia goes back like hundreds if not thousands of years right it's just huge oh, it's yeah. bigger than the right. entire space of blockchain over and over and over again and so what we often in our little ecosystem of web3 we look at proof of work and proof of stake as like the gold standard but when you put it in the context of the broader space it's quite fringe right so i just want to kind of start start there mm. so when back to stability and where we are from a consensus mechanism and where we landed is you now have the token removed right mm-hmm. and when you remove that token we're able to create a blockchain that is deterministic. Now, what does that mean? Deterministic means that it is mathematically provable from state change to state change. Okay? How does the world work today? What does it work like on Ethereum? Mm -hmm. Ethereum has a minting and a burn function, right? Every transaction. That is not an on-chain transaction. That is an off-chain transaction, which requires consensus to confirm. So when you take out that token, you now, as I mentioned, you don't have that challenge. So we're able to now leverage consensus mechanisms similar to what what Aunt JP Morgan Onyx, um, you know, these large data centers use, similar to like Raft, RAFT, Paxos, not the stablecoin, but more the consensus mechanism that are highly efficient, highly rugged and provable, and they're, they're crash fault tolerant is what they're called. And you don't have a scenario where you have to worry about a 51% attack 
with a deterministic blockchain, every transaction on stability is a signed transaction that is a cryptographic proof, which is quantum secure in and of itself. And so if you and I sign a transaction, it is validated, it is on the blockchain. So you can't override that type of a system similar to a proof of work or proof of stake. And we know the vectors, everyone's quite familiar with the vectors of how you would supersede those types of consensus mechanisms. We Stability cannot have an invalid state. It's as it's it's uh, clear as two plus two equals four. And if someone tries to submit two plus two equals five, the transaction will fail. It's not valid. And so as long as you have one validator that is running, you will have a blockchain that is moving forward and with a valid state. And when that last validator goes down, if it were to, which it, we don't, these we're talking like the worst case scenario. You got to go to that tail scenario, right? Mm -hmm. the, the blockchain stops at a valid state. Mm -hmm. What would you prefer? That's a question we have to ask ourselves, which you probably haven't asked yourself before. Would you rather the blockchain stop at a valid state or would you like it that it forks off into its own thing and, and goes down another path and we, all, we understand the vectors of proof of work, proof of stake? So I think with enterprises, they just want the valid yeah. state at the end of the day. Right. We keep uh, mentioning the validators. So who runs the validators for mm -hmm. with stability? Like, or who, who can run validator nodes? Yep. So you have to be accepted into that. Uh, we, we would have to approve, right? So this is a more of a proof of authority model, right? Again, okay. that's going to be like the antithesis of traditional like Web3 community. But again, the goal is blockchain, yep. <laughs> right? In the hands of everyone. Mm. And there's this is a big conversation. Understand that, again, I would just say, understand that we're coming from Web3 and we want the vision over time. So the people who can run the validators are, we're, we're at this point, we're going to be starting with a group of 10 validators at mainnet. And we're going to continue to expand that over time. Right, and we are going to decentralize over time. Okay, validators also can be uh, companies that want to run a validator uh, for their own for their own use, like we described with a PayPal example. They can also run transactions for public. We will be running at the at a starting point. We will be running validators. We have conversations with Google to be running one of the initial validators, and they would be running that as a. Uh, as a as a public good, right? So our blockchain will be free to use for individual public use up to a certain point, right? Mm -hmm. That that means permissionless access to blockchain, right? Up to a certain point of use, enterprises will be able to use up to a certain point, and then when you start getting into large amounts of transaction volumes that's when you start having to pay a license, right? Pay a license fee, just like any other software. Okay. Um, I have a little bone to pick with you. Please. Uh, in terms of Google mm. being a potential partner or like you said, a validator. So obviously prominent big tech player, cloud computing services, totally makes sense, right? For yeah. stability's business model. You probably have the, an idea of why I'm, where I'm going with this, but it does carry a negative connotation to its name well, within the Web3 community, it goes against its ethos as it's it's sort of the antithesis to the notion of privacy and self-sovereignty, <laughs> given the data mining problem. And uh, some would argue even even more extremely invasion of privacy. Is there any backlash because of Google or 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 no? Again, you have to ask, like, who is our customer? And what is our goal, right? And so our customer, mm. our co and but we, we can have a philosophical conversation of where it goes, um, and let's so we can dive into that. Sure. But we're wanting to onboard some of the biggest multinationals in the world, right? Yeah, totally get that. And they're wanting to use it for supply chain or payments and things that are going to change your and my life every day, right? The, the question like actual practical use cases, yeah. which, which we've been all striving for, whether it's public or private blockchain, right? When we haven't right. been able to do either, right? Right. <laughs> and so, fair enough. Right. And so, 
what I think you're talking about is privacy, though, at the end of the day. And, and mm. we believe in privacy as well. And there, there's an element here that there's ways to maintain privacy and own your data in Web3. There's ways to do that. Mm. And the information that's being validated doesn't necessarily have the, the, all of the transaction objects included the to the from the amount like at a traditional blockchain there's ways that you can encrypt that and abstract that away so Mm -hmm. our first and primary goal is when you have large institutions that are validating transactions when think of this philosophically and these are new concepts i think they're fun to talk through and i don't think a lot of people think of this no, absolutely. And this is why we're doing this conversation, yeah. because I think it, it does need to be uh, discussed. And yeah, absolutely. I think it just it puts things in perspective. So let's think about the, the security of Ethereum, right? Hmm. What's the total, the total security staked, amount staked on Ethereum today? I think it's, uh, is it like, what is the number? I wish I knew that number, but I actually don't know the most the, the most recent one. But yeah, I don't know either. I used to have this number exactly, so forgive me, audience. I'm going to throw a number out there, but let's say it's like <laughs> between fifty and a hundred billion dollars, give or take. Right? I'd be like somewhere in there. Right? I should know that number, so apologies, I don't. That's okay. Um, but and that is to secure the network that you will slash if there's a in, like a, a, a a nefarious actor, right? That's that's gets that keeps everyone honest. That's the whole concept. Mm-hmm. If you have these large multinationals, what do they have that's worth more than fifty to a hundred billion dollars? Their brand, their brand. Mm. And so, for for Google to do a nefarious transaction, which they can't necessarily even do on stability, given the they could do reordering, which happens like Mev like right? Happens everywhere. MEV happens on all these other chains as well. Mm-hmm. That potentially, I don't want to get too, we're getting kind of down a rabbit hole in a sense, but the point though is that Google is not going to, on one transaction, you know, try to manipulate or change like in a proof of stake aspect if their brand is on the line. And the so you have pretty secure Mm. reason to believe that they're going to run this in a thoughtful way. Now, I'm sure there's people all over that are going to jump on that and, and want to kill that. But what I would, I would, I would ask the audience to really think about, it's a new concept. I would say, think about that of what incentive that would, what that company would actually do. Right. Mm -hmm. And how that would work. And I think that there's strong evidence that you have way more security having 10 multinationals that have their brands at stake the question is will they validate given Mm. like that risk and all that there's a whole bunch of stuff to go on that we can dive in there but the point i'll just leave it there is that there are there are incentives that can keep people that can keep corporations honest as well Um, it might not be suitable for a like web3 community purist that's not what we're trying to solve for right Right. No, that's fair, fair enough. And it's, um, it's, I think it's key to have a conversation like this, because uh, we have to start somewhere, right? And it has to, and then it evolves from there. But yeah, you're right. I mean, someone may rip apart <laughs> what you said in terms of totally, um, you know, just and we, some, we some just, that. yeah, and I, I think it's good to to to, to challenge. Um, but because uh, the whole point of, of Web3 is also to to sort of go away from from what well yeah you're right we can go down a rabbit hole on that on that front but still i i wanted to actually um because we're talking about security scalability just quick question what are your thoughts on the blockchain trilemma do you think it's even valid to talk about it still in terms of how vitalik has set it up or is that something that you don't think about well we Think about it, but the, those are constraints. It's a, it's like a, a Rubik's cube that's only relevant to a token-based mm. blockchain. Okay. Right. Remove the token, and you have significant white space. So let's let's talk through them. 
security. We talked through that, that every transaction, a signed transaction is cryptographic secure. So it is highly secure. We don't have a consensus mechanism there that it's a deterministic mathematical based blockchain. That's where you got your security. Scalability. Mm. Our blockchain does not have a block limit. It is, it is flexible. We are currently running it at roughly 300 million gas per block. Mm. Ethereum, for context, is at like 30 million gas per block. And it, they've talked about, you know, Vitalik's talked about raising the block height and all those types of things, right? The reason you don't do that right. is because it crushes your token price, right? Because you've just made a whole bunch of more product, mm -hmm. right? So it's less scarce. So we know that that's why that doesn't happen. We don't have that economic constraint. Mm -hmm. We are only working with technical constraints. And so when you remove the block uh, height constraint, and we've done tests up to a billion gas, um, the only other constraint is hardware and compute. And the metrics I just shared with you on you know, 300 million gas, two second block time, running at 100 times the, the capacity of Ethereum, like 10x the capacity of Polygon, is with, this, with, the, with the similar AWS node instance of like that cost a thousand bucks a year, the exact same. So, so if you scale that hardware up, really the only limitations are like distance and the speed of light. Like that's what you're working with, right? And so that that's on the on the scalability side. So there's no no constraint there. And then the third, decentralization. Mm big topic, obviously, <laughs> philosophical. Yeah. There's been a lot of uh, battles on this one. Yeah, I would, I, I, I would say from a high level perspective, putting my Web3 hat on, right? The Web3 community, as much as they have, I think it, going back years ago, they would really hammer on decentralization being so paramount. Mm -hmm. I think the whole community has shifted dra dramatically and people would fight me on this. And there's some people who haven't budged. So, so for, for those of you that have stayed there, you know, congrats. But the industry has moved to, we need something that we can actually use right. that's, that's usable. And you now have L2s that are perfectly centralized with one sequencer, with the hope and dream in the future that's going to decentralize, right? Mm -hmm. And we're now going to layer threes and we're adding all of this centralization because we have this architectural problem that we've been discussing for the last 45 minutes to an hour. Mm -hmm. And when you actually look at it, so we, we, we've kind of given up a little bit, not fully, but just it's important to us, but we need to have this tech work. Mm. And when we look at stability now, going to the way that we think, because we believe in decentralization, that you need to have, we, we are going to have, you know, 10 validators. We want to decentralize that as quickly as possible. We'll be more decentralized than lots of players in the current web3 space arguably yeah absolutely with the with the hope to be more decentralized in the future just like everyone wants to be right but i would pose to the group to think about what is the what is the decentralization of ethereum hmm. and i would use the the term the nakamoto coefficient which is how many entities does it take to stop the network and this is well publicized that that is pretty close to two, if not two, mm. when you take the amount of stake between Lido and Coinbase, right? And that's that's one centralized point. And then a second one would be like, oh, by the way, 70% of ETH validators are on, on Amazon. Okay, that's another significant centralization point. Mm. I don't do that to downtrodden. It sounds like I'm shooting bullets over the bow. I'm not. I'm just trying to highlight right. that... We need to look at it in a full context and any point of centralization in the network is its centralization point, regardless if it has, you know, 10,000 nodes or not. Fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, yeah, I think I agree with you. The decentralization conversation has shifted. It has definitely shifted. So I think uh, I'm with you on that one. Okay, so we've covered we've covered sort of the the, the original tri trilemma: musketeers, mm -hmm. um, security, scalability, decentralization. Which, yeah, of course, it's important to everyone. Then it just has to be um, have to actually make it work, right? Just shifting a little uh, the conversation a little bit. I've, I think I've exhausted you on that front. Who are you looking for 
to use stability? Mm-hmm. So we have been, you know, we're a team of 13. Mm-hmm. We are a startup. Mm-hmm. We are, mm-hmm. we are self funded. You are self funded, which is yes. fairly unique and more rare um, mm-hmm. in the space than not. We don't, we don't have a token. Right. Right. And so, right. So there's okay. a whole different model there. So we had to will this into existence. So <laughs> the customers that we're focusing on, as I mentioned, are, are, are enterprises. We've been going in a lot of different verticals okay. up until recently to find product market fit. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you need to find the beachhead where you're going to get adoption, customers paying, and we are a company that's going to generate revenue, this crazy word revenue. <laughs> when you don't have a token. There is no Web3 businesses that make revenue. What we, right? So I, I again, I'm shooting a, a shot over the bow, but like, we have tokens and we will like often turn that into a revenue number by like selling tokens, but I'm talking real recurring revenue, right? Right. right. Um, for sustainability, right? There's a sustainability element there. So I digress. The, the areas, gaming, we had traction. Okay. So in terms of the verticals. Mm-hmm. Verticals, gaming, brand loyalty points, mm-hmm. payments, Mm-hmm. Um, and then like supply chain and logistics. And that's the one where it's really, we found as of late, the most significant real world traction and supply chain is probably the biggest mm-hmm. market and vertical by order of magnitude than all of them. And one that both public and private blockchains have failed miserably mm. converting and we've all, since the beginning of time, it's like, this is going to work in supply chain. Like, we've all heard that, right? And every mm-hmm. big four accounting firm is saying it's coming and it hasn't happened. Yeah. So that's where, just as the last couple of weeks, stability has been selected by the the Singapore's Technology and Innovation Authority, which is called the IMDA. Oh, wow. Well, that's a big milestone. It's transformational. Um, it's congratulations. Yes, thank you. So we have a, a government that is the technology and innovation and digital transformation leader mm-hmm. of the world by order of magnitude has identified stability as a technology that can help them transition the port of Singapore, which is the second largest and probably one of the most strategic ports on earth to help them transition from these traditional paper-based bill of ladings. This is a piece of paper Mm. that they call like a transfer document that is like a bearer bond going to like finance speak for a second, where if you hold this piece of paper, Mm -hmm. you own the cargo, right? That's how the world works today. Wow. It's shocking. So, the, the goal is to convert these to electronic bill of ladings. There are a lot of players that all need to integrate with these bill of ladings. There's shippers, there's whoever's selling the goods, there's banks, there's a lot of people that are involved. Mm-hmm. And a public blockchain, a public database where you can transfer ownership and you can also check ownership on this public database is required to make that work. Now, to get all of those parties to align is nearly impossible, right? And a government entity in Singapore that can bring all of the stakeholders together and say, here is your framework to do it. And oh, by the way, if you're gonna pull your ship into the port of Singapore, by 2030, if you don't have your electronic bill of lading, turn around. Oh, wow. Okay. So you have a forced adoption and the supply chain touches everything, right? Like this is why it's like, yeah. you need to, you need to do this really well. You need to help these companies and we're going to do a three-part trial where you're, where you, because when you're accepted from a technical perspective, now you have to do trials before you're just granted, right? Like, and there's only three networks that are approved to do this. Ethereum, Polygon, and this little rinky-dink blockchain <laughs> called Stability, right? So I, I say that in jest, but but 
there's a th- th- there's a, a real opportunity here, and the opportunity is that enterprises can actually seamlessly adopt it because the wallet infrastructure for let's say a big a big multinational like Tamasic or Maersk, mm-hmm. they can they can say yes, but what about the the warehouse? That's going to now need to have a MetaMask and Ethereum on their balance sheet, the dock worker, the bank, all of these. And this is where that whole system, that framework is stuck. Mm. And stability unlocks that where it can seamlessly be adopted among all of these enterprises. That's pretty amazing. Um, well, because when you just mentioned Maersk, um, I, I actually had a... I actually lived in Denmark for for a few years, and uh, I just was sort of closer to to the uh, to the industry. And uh, there was just constant. There was just these. The challenges were just almost unsolvable. And all these different components that you're talking about, it's uh, it is pretty groundbreaking what you just what you just outlined. I have to actually say, so the forced adoption, the, the 2030 deadline this is actually mm-hmm. um this is actually official yeah it's stated it's and, and you have there's other there's other companies that are doing electronic bill of ladings um and they're using they're using ethereum like private companies that are doing it this is a obviously a government okay. that is putting and, and they've got a separate entity that is focused on bringing blockchain into various verticals of the society Mm-hmm. Like Singapore is an incredible country. Like people often refer to it as Singapore Inc. As in it runs its country like a country. It's like we wish more countries would run themselves like. Yeah. And it's um, right now every university degree in Singapore is on the Ethereum blockchain today. Really? With a technology called OpenCert. Really? Right? Like these guys are so far ahead. It's very avant-garde. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so they're constantly looking ways to create efficiencies mm. um, and where, you know, public distributed ledger technology can benefit and and so I think I think there's a really big opportunity for the rest of the world and why we're so focused on this case study because then we can show other governments, other multinationals how to do it. Absolutely. And just the bill of lading just bill of bill of lading for shipping. If you transitioned all of these bill of ladings just for shippers, it would save eight billion dollars a year. Really, and that's that that's that's their own you know association, shipping association, saying these numbers, right? So it's really well known. We're we're, we're pushing paper, folks. Like, hmm. right? Yeah, you've got counterfeits. You've got all of the things that happen with with paper based stuff. Sure, sure. Well, so that's a successful partnership. Sounds like uh, so a marriage made in heaven. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just one of the areas we're still we're still supporting. You know, gaming companies that are our are, are clients, right? Like there, we can offer zero gas transactions for gaming, right? Um, these are highly uh, transaction based games. So there's a lot of different use cases. You and I could I, I enjoy this part of my job is talking about all of the opportunities. Right there's so much white space, mm-hmm. and I guess that's what I'm inviting people into have a conversation is for a minute put down the guard on some of like what, the mental models that are really really firm. I had them. I went through this on oh, my journey. We've all on our team gone through this journey. We had to put down our mental models, try new mental models, get to a new white space, and say what's possible. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's really fun. And I can't wait for in the future as other builders start building and companies start building of what's going to be possible because we haven't even scratched the surface. We're 13 people scratching around. We're paddling in, you know, white space all by ourselves. And I can't wait for more people to join us. Yeah, you mentioned so 13. And is this are you scattered geographically or are you sort of based anywhere more in the US? Yeah, we're we're global, we're fully distributed. We have decentralized. <laughs> decentralized, yes. We have folks in Singapore, okay, uh, Toronto, Spain, uh, and the US. That's that's that sounds fabulous. So stability is on public test net since November. What 
is in store for stability in the short term? So with this news in Singapore, we are pushing our mainnet launch forward, likely. Um, Mm -hmm. No specific date uh, that I can share with you right now, but it will become it will be definitely this year. And, you know, probably Q1, Q2, I'm guessing uh, is kind of rough, rough target. Mm. And it's it's really really making sure that we support our customers and having a successful outcome and really making sure that that works for them. Like there's going to be a large component of our business that's going to be customer service um, to ensure that they have a, a, you know, they're able to integrate it, it, it. They're able to see the benefits that they have all we've all wanted to see, right? Because if we can do this really well for a small subset of enterprises, we're going to learn, right? We're going to we're going to make mistakes, but we're going to get better. This could this could really be something. And I'm I'm excited about the opportunity to try to solve a big problem. Whether we're whether we are successful or not, it's it's exciting to work on a project like this that is really trying to advance our industry and not being stuck just focused on you know an economic uh situation right and just in terms of and just going back to your mission i mean you are utility focused and which is it does lead to you are actually solving problems right you're actually solving actual actual use cases and and the speculation part is is out of the picture. I just wanted to to, to quickly um, you did a, you did talk about in terms of your revenue model, but how do you monetize? How does stability monetize? What what is your revenue model? Yeah, so we will really be starting with licenses, like to license the software, mm-hmm. um, and there'll be like customer service agreements, like. SLAs, master service agreements. These are okay. when you think of like the value creation that can happen with a with that type of model, even an open source model. That your audience might be familiar with with Red Hat, which is one of the largest server kind of operating systems uh, that's open source. It was bought by IBM for thirty four billion dollars, mm. right? And that's an open source platform and they offer amazing service, customer service. And if you want anything kind of customized, there's the fee that goes associated with that. That is potentially in, in, in conjunction with our licensings, that's going to be how we make money. It's not going to be, okay. it's going to be software as a service and customer service. Absolutely. It does. It does totally make sense. It, it's just the conversation is, is for me, uh, it's it's so different from from what I'm from what I'm used to uh, that it's it's actually it's actually inspiring to be honest. Um, hearing about all the different opportunities and just what you mentioned and, and you know solving the su- supply chain and the shipping. I mean these are these are global challenges and just what we've seen also. Well, with COVID, um, all hell broke loose, um, and not even with COVID. I mean we can that's an, a whole nother rabbit hole, but still uh, there are a lot of issues mm-hmm. um, to be solved. Yes, and uh, I'm glad that you guys are tackling it in, in that way. I always ask my guests, um, this is sort of the typical question of, so you have a team of 13, you're self-funded. What would you say has been your biggest challenge throughout this this stability journey? Uh, you're, or you're, do you, you're basically, have you had any challenges? Yeah, no, no. Uh, oh Are my you challenge goodness. free? No, this is, yeah. this, I'm, I'm pa- not the day to day. I'm pausing because there's like where to begin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. We are selling a new religion, mm. like in a sense, right? I, I say it in, in, in kind of in jest, but it's so different and in a different path that it's an education process. Like we're all trying to educate people on traditional Web3. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what this podcast is doing as exactly, well, right? Exactly. And, and now we have the the challenge of not only you know blockchain e- being equal to cryptocurrency, mm. right, and and educating enterprises, but also educating our 
our friends in Web3 mm -hmm. on what we're trying to do, right? And so we've been very much on an island. And that is okay because we're cool with that. It does. It feels lonely. Mm. But when you're not doing what everyone else is doing, you're probably in a new direction, a new path, new white space where innovation can truly happen, right? And it's not been easy, but we've had to self-reflect and, and understand that and use that as energy to push forward, I would say. And so that, that's been the biggest challenge, I would say. Is there uh, no one that's doing what you're doing that you that you know of? Um, I mean, the, the the sort of the the gasless concept has has taken traction. Tokenless, not so much yet. Yeah, I'm not aware of another tokenless public blockchain. I hope I hope there is. There is a lot of room mm -hmm. right. uh, for for other other folks to build and. The jury's out of whether it's going to be one chain or specialized chains. Can mm -hmm. can one chain stability do all of supply chain plus payments right. plus plus plus? Like right. maybe not, right? And we're comfortable with that. We're our goal is wanting the whole industry to be successful and getting blockchain, privacy, security, self-sovereignty, you know, the next iteration of the internet, which is what we're all trying to do. Right. And there's a lot of, that's not going to happen from 13 people. Let's just, let's be honest. No, but you're definitely a good starting point <laughs> and you're definitely gaining traction. So thanks for, for sharing your, your vision and, and your, your unique model. And, um, as, as we sort of wrap this up, I think that you've, um, you've, I've exhausted you enough <laughs> in terms <laughs> of explaining the, uh, the ins and outs, but Clay, are, I mean, are there any key takeaways to add that I may have maybe missed or haven't asked that you would like to share? Not really. Um, other than I would ask our community, the Web3 community, just to keep an open mind I know a lot of what I've said today can be like antithetical or jarring and I would I would say just ponder, mull, digest, think it through um, somewhat. And at the end of the day, like stability, we're here trying to find like ground truth. Mm -hmm. We're we want we we've been asking anyone to kill our idea, to to save us time. Mm -hmm. Right? We're we're not married to anything. Uh, we're just trying to go in this direction. And so if anyone wants to participate, is interested in this mission, reach out. But yeah, I, I think that's all I would I would add. Perfect. Well, what is the best way to follow your work or, or perhaps contact for, for particular business needs or participation? Yeah, um, I'm... I'm not super active on Twitter. I'm not a, a super Twitter uh, user, but I'm there. I'm on okay. I'm on LinkedIn. We have our website. You know, happy to put any of that in the show notes. Uh, if people want to reach out, happy to have a conversation. Perfect. Yeah, we'll definitely make sure that we include all of that information in our show notes. Well, Clay, thanks so much for talking with me today. As I mentioned before, I've talked with uh, many founders and builders uh, in the blockchain world and. Um, you know, it's amazing how on one on one hand, the tech and solutions are evolving so quickly, yet the adoption process is yet to ignite. So I think it's conversations like these that push us forward and education is important, even if it's just a conversation. Uh, you know, the typical response of most guests is that we're still early. Right. Mm. But like you like you mentioned, I think it's um, I think it's important to reflect and, and ponder. And, you know, we're we're, we're in this together um, trying to make it better and more workable and the way it should be so all the best to you and your team uh, may stability pave its path and mission uh, mission tr to true utility as mm. i would say actually i almost feel like saying the the star wars-esque mantra let stability be with you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well we may we may have to we may have to use that um so i might have to might have to steal that i don't know know. why i that just that just sort of shot through my head but um <laughs> Thanks so much for, for taking us down this path. I, I didn't want to interject too much because it's actually been a, a big learning journey for me uh, in trying to piecing it all together and, and, and how you guys are set up. So thanks so much for that and, and painting the picture. Nina, thank you for having me. Um, thanks for all the work that you guys do on the show. I love the show. So thank you. Thanks so much, Clay. 
Thanks again to our guests and thank you everyone for listening. Thanks also to the Barian Music team for providing their music. You can check them out on barianmusic.com. The episode supporting information is on our website blockchainrecorded.com. Our podcast is available on Google, Apple, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as on YouTube, Spotify, and Radio Public. You can follow us on Twitter at Recorded Podcast and YouTube, where we are super grateful for your support. Stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you.